What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show today. I'm going to give you guys a framework for how to build a decent workout program for hypertrophy. And I use the word decent intentionally because if this was a podcast on how to build the absolute most optimal program for you, I'd have to know a lot more about you. Like there's no way for me to tell you exactly what is right for you. But what I can do is I can give you guys a framework. I can give you guys some questions that you need to answer. And hopefully I can do it in a chronological order that actually leads you down a line of questioning that that helps you build a, again, a decent workout program, an intelligent workout program, a balanced workout program that's right for you. Before we start, I'm going to be using several examples, and I just want to say before we start, these are just examples. These are not the best way. These are not the only way. They're certainly a fine way, an intelligent way, and I chose those examples because I feel like they might apply to a wide range of people, but again, this is not a podcast saying you need to do this. I mean, this podcast is literally called Where Optimal Meets Practical. It's We're going to be talking about what might be optimal, but we're going to actually, for the first time in a lot of, I feel like people don't talk about this enough, it's like, what is practical? Like, what is optimal is important to talk about. It is, and that's why... I titled the podcast that is because I do want to talk about what is optimal, but I want to make sure that you're not hung up on what is optimal and that you do bring yourself back to earth and say, okay, what's practical for me? Cool. So again, before we start, this is in the context of hypertrophy, building muscle. This is not powerlifting, Olympic lifting, sports performance, running, endurance training. This is hypertrophy. This is building muscle. So while some of the things might be similar, some of those lines of questioning, there would be some divergent uh, conversations that would happen in the context of other goals. So the first thing that people need to think about when they're, you know, thinking about building a structure for their own workout program, it's not reps, it's not sets, it's not exercise selection, it's not RAR, it's not, you know, how, uh, which split should I use? Man, it's the, the combination of frequency, duration, and goals. Frequency being how many days can I get in the gym? Duration being how long can I stay in the gym each time? And goals being what do I want out of training? And the truth is those things need to match up. Because if you're, if I ask you, hey, what are your goals? And you're like, I want to build the most maximum amount of muscle possible. Okay, that's awesome. Well, how many days? How many days can you train? And you're like two. I'm like, okay, how long can you be in the gym? You're like 45 minutes. It's like that's not going to work. Something's got to give. We have to make sure that when you combine frequency and duration, we can kind of call that like how much time across the week can you real, realistically allot to training? So how much time you have to devote to training and your goals have to match up. Have to match up. You can't want to be Mr. Olympia and train once a week. So we have to make sure before we start that those goals match up and the expectations match up. And if you can only train three days a week, then you have to understand that there are small trade-offs there. And, you know, yes, you can build muscle and strength at three days a week. You absolutely can. I have a ton of clients building, you know, some of the most muscle they've ever built at three days a week. But would they build more at four days or five days? Maybe. And so it's important to just recognize that the first question you need to ask is, how much can I train? How much time does my life allow me to train? You know, do you work three jobs and you have two kids? Or you're like, okay, I can I can train three days a week for 30 minutes. Or are you like some college kid who's like, dude, I can train five, six days a week for as fucking long as you want because I don't go to class. I'm just a meathead, right? So the first question you need to ask is how much can my, I realistically train given my life? And that will bring you to a very, like that will reduce the number of uh, variables and number of choices by a lot. Six days a week training, out. Five days a week, probably out. Spending 90 minutes in the gym, probably out. And you're probably left with something like three to four days a week, 45 to 75 minutes, something like that. Again, it could be, you know, you could you could be in a different place and have different circumstances where you can train more, and that's totally great. For most people, it's gonna look like three to four days a week, 45 to 75 minutes at a time. So 
The next question is, okay, now you have how many days you can train. You have about how long you can train. You have your goals given, goals and expectations given that. Now you can move on to like, okay, what workout split should I do? I know I'm going to be in there three to four days a week. I know that I'm going to be in there for 45 to 75 minutes. Like, how should I arrange those days? What muscle groups should I do? Generally speaking, if you're looking to for general hypertrophy across your whole body, it's probably ideal to hit everything two times per week. Now, a small caveat to that would be, you know, if you care way more about certain muscle groups and way less about others, train the ones that you want to grow, that you want to see progress on at least twice a week. So let's say you're training. I'm going to give you guys a couple examples for splits uh, for different, you know, kind of uh, days per week training. Again, these aren't the only ones. Uh, these are some really good ones, intelligent ones that meet that requirement of about two times training per week. Uh, two times hitting each muscle group two times per week. I wanted to make that clear. So if you're training three days a week, you could do three full body days. Totally great strategy. Have a lot of clients doing this. It's wonderful. If you like full body, obviously this is a great one for you. You could do upper, lower, full, right? You'd be hitting everything twice. Now, if you don't care about hitting everything twice, if you're a dude right now, and I hate to be, wow, that's super sexist to go there, but let's say you're a dude who's like, man, I, I just want to grow my upper body. I don't care as much about my legs. I don't want to totally neglect them, but I care way more about my, my upper body. But I can only train three days a week. Is it okay for me to do upper, lower, upper? It is. In my opinion, it absolutely is. Um, I don't see why not. And in that same vein, if you're somebody who cares way more about lower body, can you do lower, upper, lower? Fuck yeah, you totally can. Train the shit that you want to see improve twice a week or more. Cool. So if you're doing a four-day split, I think the best place to start is a is an upper-lower, upper-lower split. Really, really great. Um, I think you can also have make, you know, this might be more a little bit more difficult to program, but you could program a four-day full-body split. I think that's totally fine. They have people in the industry, very advanced people who are, who are creating really wonderful programs for full day, four days a week, five days a week, six days a week. I know Jeff Nippard right now, you know, programmed himself like a six-day-per-week full-body program. I mean, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with training full body more often per week. That's totally fine. You could also do an upper lower uh, push pull, which would represent somebody who cares more about upper body. So you would do up, total upper body, then total lower, then upper body push, upper body pull. So you would hit your whole upper body twice across those three days and your legs once. And that's okay if you care more about your lower body. That's the trade-off or upper body. Say You could do the same thing reversing it for the lower body. You could do lower upper and then like a lower push, lower pull, or like a hamstring focus and then a quad focus. And that's totally fine. That's hitting your legs twice and your upper body once across those four days. Totally reasonable. If you're training five days a week, you could do, I think the most classic way to do it would be upper, lower, push, pull, lower. Uh, so upper body full, then lower body full, then upper push, upper pull, and then lower full again. And my next two favorites would be taking that four day upper, lower split, and then just tacking on a fifth day of whatever you care about most. So you would do you know, upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, if you cared more about upper, and lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, if you cared more about lower. You could also do, you know, uh, that upper, lower, push, pull, lower split, but reversing it for a lower body. So you could do lower, upper, like hamstring focused, then quad focused, then upper body again. So lower, upper, hams, quads, upper. If if any of that resonated to you guys, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I hope so. Um, and the truth is, like, if you're Hopefully by this question, you've already decided how much you can train. And so you know that you're choosing maybe between a, a three-day split and a four-day split or a five-day split and a four-day split. If you're in between two numbers, start with the lower one. See how it goes. You can always do more. If you start with five and you absolutely obliterate yourself, it's kind of productive. So I would recommend starting with the lower end if you're torn between two numbers. And remember, just before we close the book on the splits, your split 
and exercise selection, which we're gonna go over in a bit, should reflect what you want to grow. If I look at your workout split and you're doing upper, lower, upper, and I'm like, oh, cool, you wanna work your upper body more. You're like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 I don't want to. Like, okay, that's obviously, that's obviously doesn't make any sense. Like, if I look at your workout split, I should be able to tell what your goal is in terms of building which muscles. If it's an upper, lower, upper, lower split, I'm like, okay, great. They're looking for overall growth, growth across all muscles. Um, otherwise, there'd be some specialization there. Cool. Next question is how many exercises should you do per one of those sessions? Again, these are these questions could get really nitty gritty. You could do an entire podcast on how many exercises per session. You could, but in the, in the attempt to be a bit more practical and applicable, I think four to six exercises per session is a really good rule of thumb. Now, if you're doing eight exercises per session and you're training more than three days a week, I would really question how much intensity you're bringing. Whenever I see somebody who's training a fuck ton and not crumbling, my intuition says you're not training hard enough. If you're training hard enough and a ton, then you're either somebody who's doing this professionally, who's really taking care of uh, their, their fatigue management, recovery, sacrificing lifestyle to really make the most of their training. That's just not most people. If you're training with eight, eight exercises per session, I would love to watch your train. I'd love to run you through a workout of like four productive, intense, you know, bringing relative intensity close to failure exercises in a session and see if you survive it. If you're doing eight exercises per session, holy shit, there's no way you should be able to walk out of the gym. On the flip side, if you're doing two exercises per session, yeah, yeah, just you're probably not doing much. So I think four to six exercises per session is a really good rule of thumb. And maybe, you know, if I can point you guys in the direction within that, if you're training more frequently, maybe you can get away with less exercises per session unless you really need the volume. You know, if you're training three days a week, maybe you want to, you know, edge closer to the six exercises per session just so that you can get your weekly volume up where, you know, in a, into a productive place. If you're doing three times a week training, man, four, four exercises per session is only 20, 12 exercises per week. Now, I'm not saying that that's not good. I'm saying you might want to tilt closer to the more exercises per session since you're training less frequently. Great. So, so far, just to recap, we have frequency and duration matching up with your goals. So, you know, uh, um, basically how much can you train based on your lifestyle? How much time can you reasonably allot to training per week? And how does that match up with your goals? Second, you would pick a workout split based on the answer to that question, right? Can you train three, four, or five days? And within that, you'll pick a split that sounds reasonable and reflects the muscles that you want to grow. Within each one of those workouts, you'll do about four to six exercises per session. Maybe a little more if you're training a little bit less, maybe a little less. I mean, within the four to six, you know, edge closer to four if you're training more often, but you could also, you know, whatever. It's gonna be super individual. Some people are gonna train five days a week and do six exercises per session and they can totally handle it. Um, so I think four to six across whatever split you're doing is a, is a reasonable, reasonable place to start. Now, how many sets of each exercise? Again, gonna keep this pretty short and sweet. I don't want this to be the world's longest podcast here. I wanna give you guys actionable takeaways. Four to six exercises per session, two to four sets of each exercise. Now, within that framework, starting your mesocycle with a little bit less, maybe a little closer to two, and working up across the mesocycle, maybe a little closer to four, isn't a bad plan. But if you're just starting out, that might be a layer of complexity that you don't need. So you can start with about three, plus or minus one set, and that's a really good place to start. Don't overthink it. Four to six uh, exercises per session, two to four sets each. If you wanna start your mesocycle when you just come out of the deload with a little bit closer to two, maybe two or three, and end your mesocycle with about three or four, that might be an intelligent way to do it. 
Now, how many reps of each exercise? Again, this is gonna be an entire podcast and I'm gonna try and give you guys some shorter, more actionable takeaways here. The short answer is for hypertrophy, we wanna be in the five to 30 rep range. I know that's super wide. And I would maybe say most of your sets, maybe 80 to 90% of them should be in the five to 20. And then sometimes sprinkling in those super high 20 to 30 rep ranges can be beneficial. Um, and the truth is within that framework, let's say five to 20 for the most part, some exercises are gonna be better or feel better and give you a better perception of tension in the target muscle and pump in certain rep ranges and worse in others. And I've talked about this in a, a high number of times on other podcasts, but here's an example. Doing a 20 rep barbell RDL is awful. I don't know, you know if you guys are picturing this or you've done this, but an RDL just isn't great at that high rep range. You're not, you're no longer doing the point of the RDL. The RDL is a compound exercise where you can move quite a bit of weight and it's probably best done in that like five to 12 rep range. A 20 rep RDL is is more likely to be capped out by your cardiovascular system because there's just a ton of movement and your technique or your synergist muscles. Like something's gonna break down that isn't your hams, glutes, your low back. And that's not the point because you want the target muscle to be the limiting muscle. And if something else is the limiting factor, then you're not actually growing that target musculature the most you could. So doing a 20 rep RDL doesn't make a ton of sense. You're not gonna be limited by your posterior chain. You're gonna be limited by your cardio or boredom or technique. Um, and it's just an exercise that's probably done better in the lower like five to 12 rep range, let's say. On the flip side, take a five rep lateral raise. Holy shit. Go grab, you know, a heavy pair of dumbbells and do a five rep lateral raise and tell me where you're working. Tell me where you feel it. You know where you feel it? Fucking everywhere. And at the same time, nowhere, because you're just flinging the weights up with heaven and earth, trying to get them up. Everything's contracted. Your traps are moving. Your neck is moving. You're tight. Your arms are squeezing like crazy. You have no idea what's going on. When in reality, what you're trying to do with the lateral raise is isolate your lateral delt. Like it's supposed to be an isolation movement. And instead you're moving with heaven and earth, man. And so lateral raises, for example, might be an exercise that is better done in the higher 10 to 30 rep range. And while there is certainly um, like mecha mechanistically some, some reasoning behind that, it's also just, it plays out that way. Like go program yourself a 20 to 30 rep RDL and then program another block in another block, like a five to 10 rep RDL and see which one you get more out of. Chances are it's the five to 10 RDL and same thing with lateral raise. Program a, a block of training with a, a four to six rep lateral raise and then program it in the 10 to 20 rep range. And you'll be like, holy fucking shit, my, my uh, lateral delts are blown up from this, from this 10 to 20 and I didn't feel anything in that five to four to six rep range. So it's just something that, although mechanistically it does make sense, it also just makes sense in real world applicability. And when you give it a shot, you'll know. So on that note, kind of summarizing how many reps Generally speaking, again, super general, your heavier compound lifts in that five to 12 rep range, your lighter isolation work in that 10 to 30 rep range. Again, pretty generalized, but it's a decent place to start and it tends to play out well across, you know, most exercises. Um, you know, what I want you guys to take away from that is like, when you're building your program, build it like that. Do your heavy compounds in the five to 12 and your isolation work in the 10 to 30, but experiment a little bit. Try a, a 15 rep uh, barbell row, you know, a, a, an 18, a 15 to 20 rep barbell bench press. And if it works for you, great. It's just less likely to, that doesn't mean it won't. And it doesn't mean that that can't be something that you work in or it's something you experiment with. So again, this is not gospel. This is just a really good place to start. Moving right along here is what exercises do you do? Like um, we have, you know, uh, uh, four to six exercises per session. 
two to four uh, sets of each exercise. Most of your training in that five to 20, some in the 20 to 30, um, picking rep ranges that kind of make sense for the exercise you're, you're doing. Heavier compounds in the five to 12, isolation work in the 10 to 30. But what exercises do you pick? Again, could be an entire podcast on this, so I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet. You want a balance of a squat pattern, a hinge pattern, lunge pattern, upper push, upper pull, core, and arms. A squat pattern would be, again, would be like a squat or a hack squat or even a leg press. We also can call squatting a lower push exercise. You want a hinge, which is something like a deadlift or an RDL or good morning or even a, a hip thrust. And we can also call hinging lower pull. A lunge pattern, some people would put this, wouldn't put this here. I, I like identifying a lunge pattern because it reinforces that a lot, that a decent amount of your work Um you can benefit from having a decent amount of your work be uh, unilateral work, single leg work. So lunges or split squats or even single leg RDLs. And yes, some of that, you know, you could say is a squat pattern. A, sp a split squat is literally called a squat. It could be, it is a squat pattern technically. And a single leg RDL, yes, it's a hinge pattern. But I like saying that because I want people to make sure that they're doing something unilateral in their training, something on one leg. So a squat, a hinge, a lunge, an upper push would be anything that works your chest, your shoulders, your triceps. So an overhead press, a bench press, a push-up, um, you know, uh, uh, um, an inclined dumbbell press, like all the things where you're pushing, right? An upper pull would be anything where you're working your, you know, your back musculature, your posterior, right? Your barbell rows, your dumbbell rows, any rows, any pull-downs, chin-ups, all in that upper pull category. Core, man, most people are gonna, I would prefer most people to stick to mostly static and dynamic plank variations. It's a bit more functional. If you're looking for aesthetics, yes, you can work on some spinal flexion um, exercises, you know, either at the hip or, you know, uh, uh, more upper body movement, like things like decline sit-ups, things like reverse crunches, dragon flags, hanging knee raises. Those are all okay as well. Um, but for function, static and dynamic plank variations, stuff like pal-off presses, you know, planks with dumbbell drags, stuff like that can be really, really beneficial. And then arms, again, this is a hypertrophy uh, uh, related podcast here. So we have to touch on doing some direct arm work, curls, tricep pushdowns, you know, tricep extensions, a whole bunch of exercises that all really mimic each other. So just to recap, what exercises should you do? You should do some balance of squatting, hinging, lunging, upper push exercises, upper pulls, core, and arms. Again, reiterating the fact that if I look at your program, I should be able to tell what you care about most. And if you have uh, uh, a, a really balanced ratio across all those exercises, man, that's great. That that would indicate to me that you are looking for balanced overall growth. And that's a really intelligent, really reasonable way to organize your program. But if somebody has, you know, a little bit less of some things and a little bit more of other things, that's okay. Does every program need to be perfectly balanced across the board with all of those movement patterns? No. It should probably start that way if you're a beginner, a novice, because you probably have room to grow all your muscles a ton. That's probably a reasonable slash intelligent way to do it. But if I look at your program and there's a ton of arms and I'm like, hey, dude, are you really trying to grow your arms? You're like, yep. I'm like, well, that's great. Let's do a ton of arms. That's totally reasonable. And, and that kind of stuff might be where a coach comes into play because making those sorts of decisions of biasing a little bit more of your volume across the week towards certain muscle groups might be, again, a layer of complexity that's just you don't need if you're just starting out. Next would be of those exercises, right? Of those patterns, 
what is the compound to isolation exercise ratio? People ask me this all the time. How many compounds should I do? How many isolations should I do? The truth is, again, could be a podcast in and of itself, but you should do mostly compound and some isolation. And I know that that's not reasonable and tangible, so let's throw some numbers on it. I'd say about two-thirds to three-quarters of your training should be in the compound exercise column, let's say, in, in the category. Um, compound, again, guys, being uh, multi-joint, uh, multi-muscle group exercises, things like your chin-ups, your rows, your presses, and isolation work, meaning you know single-joint, single-muscle, really, exercises, like a lateral raise or a curl or uh, a chest fly. And so... You want mostly those compounds because they seem to be the best bang for your buck in terms of overall muscle growth per unit of time and effort. And so having mostly compounds is probably going to be beneficial for almost everybody. So I like about two-thirds to three-quarters of your training to be compound and about one-third to one-quarter of your training to be isolation work. And what, what does that mean practically? What that means is if you're doing four exercises in a session, yeah, three of them should be compound. One of them could be isolation. If you're doing six exercises in a session, maybe four compound, two isolation. Now, can that change? If someone's like, hey, dude, I'm doing six exercises in a session, but I'm doing three compound and three isolation. Like, am I going to not grow? Of course not. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, uh, uh, you mostly compound, some isolation, and then within that, there's going to be some variance, right? And so what I want you guys to take away is if you're building your program, start by picking your compounds first. If you're doing four exercises per session or six, start by mapping out which compounds you want to do and then pick which isolations you kind of want to sprinkle on top there. Next question you want to ask is, how many weeks should I do the same stuff before changing it up? Now, it's something like four to eight weeks, right? And the truth is, if you're training hard enough to see adaptations, you're also training hard enough to need to, to uh, need deloads. And if you're unfamiliar with what a deload is or how to take a deload or why you need a deload, I'm going to attach in the description to this podcast, a podcast that I did with literally answers every question about deloads you've ever wanted to know. So go listen to that because it'll really open your eyes to what I'm talking about here. So how many weeks should you do the same stuff before changing it up? About four to eight weeks. And there's a lot that depends when it comes to how many weeks you'll be able to go or how many weeks you'll be able to train before needing a deload. Could be three weeks and then a deload. Could be four weeks and then a deload. Could be seven weeks and then a deload. And so Start with the intention of doing about four weeks and then deloading and see how how beat up you feel after four weeks. If you feel okay to keep training and you're still making progress, and when I say progress, you're still matching or beating yourself week to week, which goes back to please track your workouts, um, then you can keep going. And then there's a there's absolutely a reasonable argument to just continuing to train. Like, why would I stop training if I'm still making progress? And that's a pr very reasonable argument. Um, so if things are going well and you're not feeling too beat up after four weeks, keep going. That being said, if you feel 100% fresh, you're totally fine, never sore, nothing's giving you, you know, you're not feeling you're not feeling like you've been training hard for four weeks, maybe you're not training hard enough. Um, and so how many weeks should you do the same stuff? Somewhere between four to eight weeks. And I would probably start with the intention of doing less, maybe four, to, maybe four or five weeks, and see how you feel and push up into that six, seven, or eight-week mark if and only you're getting biofeedback, that tells you you can do that, right? You don't have sleep disruption. You're not chronically sore. Your joints don't hurt. You're still moving up in your training. You're still making progress. If that's the case, you can keep going. But something like four to eight weeks, and my recommendation is to pick something proactively and then auto-regulate, meaning you can call an audible if you want when that week comes, if you want to push through for another week or another week or another week after that. Cool. So I'm going to go over really broad strokes 
you know, decent ways to build an upper day, a lower day, and a full body day. And again, there are an infinite amount of permutations on how to do this, but I just want to give you guys some practical takeaways for somebody who might be sitting with a pen and paper thinking, I want to build an upper body day. So a decent way to build one of your upper days would be an upper push, an upper pull, then an upper push, then an upper pull, and then something for your arms. And yes, within the context of doing upper push, there's a vertical pushing and horizontal pushing, right? A vertical push would be an overhead press. A horizontal push would be a bench press. Again, if you list all the upper push exercises, man, plug and play, and then look and see or or talk with a coach, a, a more trained eye. Like, you know, get, getting into the horizontal or vertical, I think I think is important, and maybe it's something that we'll go over in, in more detail another time, but do a push, do a pull, do a push, do a pull, do something isolation for your arms, get the fuck out of there. That would be five exercises, mostly compound, some isolation towards the end, really reasonable way to build your upper body day. Here, a decent way to build your lower body day would be a squat pattern and then a hinge pattern and then a lunge pattern or just something unilateral and then maybe a machine isolation and then a core. So maybe something like a squat, a back squat, and then an RDL and then a reverse lunge and then some leg extensions and then a pal-off press. And that's a totally fine, balanced way to build a leg day, mostly compound, some unilateral, some isolation, and then a little bit of core. I think that's totally fine. I do like putting core on leg days for whatever reason. You can put it wherever you want. I just put that reflexively. Next would be a decent way to build an, uh, a full body day. Great. So you could start with an upper push and then a lower pull, and then an upper pull and a lower push, something for your arms, and then something leg isolation. So that might, might look like a bench press and then a sumo deadlift and then a chin up and a leg press and then a bicep curl and a leg extension, right? Just mostly compounds, an even split between upper and lower, some isolation. And again, you can bias a little bit more towards one of those, you know, up, upper push being most important, whatever. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, you can bias your training a little bit more towards what you care about most, and that's okay. However, that nuance is probably best done under the guise of a coach, somebody who, you know, or yourself who might have a little bit more information on that. That's fine. But, you know, if you don't feel like you have the confidence in this field experience-wise to make some of those calls, man, just talk to a coach. And and that eh, just to kind of hit pause on this this podcast here, it's like if, you, if all of this stuff, you're listening to all this, you're like, holy shit, it's too complicated. I don't want to build my own program. Don't. I program for all of my clients every single month. It's a ton of work. I love programming. I never program for myself. I just outsource that to my coach because it's something I just want to outsource. It's not something I like doing for myself. And I have the knowledge. And so I can only imagine people who don't necessarily have the knowledge. And again, that's why I'm making this podcast. So hopefully the people out there who really do want to build their own program have a framework. But man, you can always just think, oh, I'm going to hire a coach for this because I think that's a really reasonable thing. And it's definitely something that, you know, when people come to me, they're like, oh, I just don't want to deal with this. And I totally understand. Now, I'm going to close the podcast with uh, five very frequently asked programming questions that I get on Instagram or whatever people in real life. Um, let's get into it. The first question is, should I use supersets, myo reps, drop sets? Those three we can classify as intensity techniques, techniques to make the exercise more intense um, and, and intense in the in the actual mechanistic uh, term intense, not necessarily intense, just like rah, intense. But I guess it kind of is that as well. So should you use supersets, myo reps, and drop sets? So a superset is just two exercises done in a row without rest. A myo rep is, geez, it's one regular set and then, uh, really short rest and then a couple more reps and then really short rest and then a couple more reps. 
A drop set is similar to Maya reps in the sense that you're doing a couple sets uh, in a row, but you do, let's say, a set of put, tricep pushdowns at, at 70 pounds, and then you immediately drop the weight to 50 and you keep going, and then immediately drop the weight to 30 and keep going. So a drop set actually involves dropping the weight, where a Maya rep set would involve doing the same weight and just adding a couple more reps. Cool. Should you do them? Man, here's the deal. Intensity techniques, specifically these, their best attribute is they have a really good, what we would call stimulus to time ratio. And another way of saying is that is they save you time. They can give you a similar stimulus to doing straight sets in less time. And if you remember the first question that we asked, the biggest bottleneck for most people is how much time can you spend in the gym? And when your time is limited, stuff like supersets, myo reps, Drop sets can be really, really beneficial so that you can get a really robust stimulus in the amount of time that fits into your life. If you have all the time in the world and training is the only thing that you do and it's the only priority in your life, great, you don't need supersets. You don't need to do much of a lot of this stuff. You might just want to do straight sets. But for the rest of the world, who's likely capped out by how much time you can spend in the gym, supersets, mile reps, drop sets, likely best done on isolation work, likely best done towards the end of your workout can be a really good way to get more stimulus in less time. Awesome. Number two, does exercise order matter? All these questions about does exercise, does, does XYZ thing matter is always interesting because the, the answer is a binary yes. It's a yes or no question. Does exercise order matter? Yes. The question you need to ask is how much does it matter? And the answer is eh, a little bit. Yeah, it matters. And again, when I look at your program, I should be able to tell what you care about. And when it comes to exercise order, you should be doing the stuff you care about most first. And it's very likely that that will be also a compound exercise. Something that, you know, doing squats at the end of your workout, and although I can think of one context where it might be a good idea, for 99.999% of people doing it, it should be the first or maybe the second after deadlifts if you're doing them both in a session, um, exercise of the day because not only do you need to be fresh in order to perform your squats well, and I don't just mean fresh physiologically, I mean mentally fresh. I mean, dude, imagine doing a whole leg day and then at the end of your leg day, you're like, I got five by five squats. It's like, fuck that, I'm trying to get the fuck out of here. Like, put the stuff that you care about most, the stuff that takes the most mental and physical energy, put it first. Next question, should I use rep ranges or exact reps? The truth is you can do both. And I think if you're using a reps in reserve model, um, which I also think would be arguably best if your goal is hypertrophy, then rep ranges are certainly your best bet. Uh, using exact reps implies that you will have a uh, decreasing reps in reserve across the set. So if you do a set, if I see somebody who does a, a hundred pound squat and the first set was eight, second set was eight, third set was eight. I mean, it's pretty reasonable to suspect that the first set was much easier than the third set and that they were very different reps in reserve, very different relative intensities. And while there's nothing independently wrong about that across one workout, again, an episode for another day, but you might do better with a rep range, keeping reps in reserve static and stopping all your sets, uh, you know, one to three reps in reserve while they fall within a rep range. Instead of having to hit an exact rep, a rep range tends to work a little bit better. Next question is how long should I rest? We got one more after this one. How long should I rest? I did an Instagram post on this. It's a carousel post, it's an infographic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna link it in the description. I actually think it does a really good job at breaking this down. But real TLDR here is resting one to two minutes on average for your isolation work is a good idea. 
and about two to four minutes for your heavy compounds. And, and I guess the short version of why is because your heavy compounds are going to take a lot out of you, not just the target muscle. They're going to take a lot out of you systemically, cardiovascularly, you know, central nervous system, your psychology, your synergist muscles. And so you have a lot more stuff because you beat up a lot more stuff that's going to have to come back to baseline before you perform well again. Dude, if you're doing a tricep push down, the only thing you need to wait for is your triceps to be ready again. And that's probably within one to two minutes for sure. Last question of the day is, do I need direct core work? I mean, again, it depends, right? I think if it was a blanket statement, does everybody need direct core work? I would answer with no. I don't think so. I think if you're doing a fair bit of compound exercises, squats, deadlifts, RDLs, lunges, um, bent over rows, chin-ups, I think you're going to get a developed core, a strong core. If you're somebody who really cares about core or you're coming in with, you know, what a physical therapist or a personal trainer would say is a, is a relatively weak core compared to the rest of your body, you might want to do some direct core work. And I don't think it's a bad idea anyway. Does, any, does everybody need it? No. Is it a, a bad idea? Definitely not. Um, so it depends. And I think doing some core work is probably a good idea, a better, if I have to give a default answer to uh, all the people listening to this, I would say you should probably do some core work. All right, guys, I hope that provided a framework. I'm going to do a really quick wrap up here. So if you're still listening here, let's, let's go through everything one more time really quickly. So the first thing you want to ask yourself is what do I want out of my training? And do I have the time, uh, across the week to reasonably get it? Do you want to be the biggest person on earth? Do you want to be Mr. Olympia? Well, you're going to have to train more than take two days a week. So make sure that the time that you can allot per week matches up with your goals. Once you have the time and days that you can allot to training, pick a workout split that hits the muscles you want to grow about two times per week. You should do about four to six exercises per session and about two to four sets of each exercise. Most of your reps should be in the five to 20 rep range, sometimes up to the 30 rep range, depending on context. Which exercises that you do in which rep range is something that you'll have to kind of explore for yourself, but generally heavier compound lifts in the five to 12, isolation work in that 10 to 30. Again, general, but it's a good place to start. Exercises, you should do a decent balance of squat, hinge, lunge, upper push, upper pull, core, and some arms. Most of those exercises should be compound, maybe like two thirds to three quarters of your exercise should be compound, and then one third to three quarter or to one quarter of them should be isolation work. You should train in that same way for about four to eight weeks and then take a deload and start again. Um, cool, 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 cool. And that is it. I'm not going to go over each way to build each one of those days. So I hope this provides a really important framework for you guys or at least just gets you going on a thought process um, and points you in the right direction. Uh, you know, some of the nuance of which exercises to pick within the context of upper push, upper pull. Should I do an RDL or a deadlift? Should I do a, a chin up or a pull down? A lot of that stuff is pretty nuanced. And when you talk about pretty nuanced, it's like, that's the tip, the tippy tip of the pyramid there. Um, a lot of those, should I do a dumbbell curl, a hammer curl, or a preacher curl, or a machine curl, or an incline curl? Like, cool, that, that's a fun conversation to have. But first, man, how many fucking days can you train? Uh, and so a lot of times that's where, you know, I, it's funny, I'm, I'm gonna ramble here at the end here, but I have a question on my questionnaire, my application for coaching. It says, how many days um, can you train? And how many days do you want to train? And if those answers, if those questions are, are, are answered differently, differently, it's always like kind of funny. It's like, okay, I can only train three days a week. How many days do you want to train? Five. It's like, okay, like what are we doing here then? Are we like, are you going to maneuver your life around your training in a way that it, you can get up to five? Or are we going to admit that three is what you can do and let's be as effective and efficient within those three days? All right, guys. Again, if that all sounded super complicated and you want your programming taken care of, go find a coach. 
you know, ask every question in the world, ask why, sit with them while they program for you. Like, it's not that complicated, but at the same time, sometimes it's really nice to just offload this shit to somebody else. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I hope that was helpful. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.